so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome back to another episode of Weekly Tech, a technology and ethics podcast focused on navigating this digital age with wisdom. Weekly Tech is brought to you by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive on Monday mornings that's designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day and also stay up to date on the latest tech news. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. Also, if you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to let us know by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. You can screenshot your review and send it to us at weeklytech at erlc.com along with your mailing address, and we'll make sure to send you a special Weekly Tech coffee mug as a thank you. In this episode, I'm joined by my friend and mentor, Dan Darling, from National Religious Broadcasters, and we talk about his latest book, Away With Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good. Daniel Darling is a Senior Vice President for Communications at the National Religious Broadcasters, or NRB, and has served for six years as the VP of Communications here at the ERLC. Dan is the author of nine books, including Away With Words, The Dignity Revolution, and the best-selling Characters of Christmas. Dan's work has been featured in a number of outlets such as USA Today, Washington Post, National Review, and Christianity Today. He and his wife, Angela, have four children, and they attend Green Hill Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, where Dan serves as the pastor of teaching and discipleship. And now let's join our conversation. Well, Dan, thank you for joining me here on Weekly Tech. This is a special episode for me, especially because we kind of turned the tables a bit. For a number of years, you served here at the ERLC as one of my colleagues and one of my closest mentors. And I was on your podcast a few times talking about technology. So today I get to interview you about your new book with B&H. As we get started, can you tell us a little bit about the book, Away With Words, and why you decided to write it? Yeah, so it's a book, really, um, thank you, by the way. It's it's cool to like be on the other side being interviewed. But really, it's a book about, on some level, it's just a book about being kind on online, but it's actually deeper than that. You know, I think the, the Bible has a lot to say about our words. You know, if you think about it, Christianity is a speaking religion. I mean, in the opening pages of Genesis, you know, we have God speaking creation to existence. And of course, we have the Word of God, God writing to us with the Bible, and Jesus is described as the the Logos, the Word of God. And of course, one of the things that separates humans from the rest of creation is that as image bearers, we have a high level of communication. Now, obviously, animals can communicate on some rudimentary level, of course, but you know, an animal's not going to write a novel or anything uh, or draft a speech or something. So you know, we are communicating beings, imaging a communicating God. And the Bible has a lot to say about the shape of our words. I think sometimes Christians think that as long as we're on the right side of an issue, it doesn't matter how we say it. And that's just not true. So that was one motivation for writing. And I think the other thing is motivation was, you know, we live in this digital age where it's never been easier to to publish, to communicate. I mean, with a few 
strokes of the keyboard, a few taps of our thumbs, we can send a message to the world. And so the question is, how do we steward our words in this moment? You know, we're not going to go back, right? We're not going to go back to the 1950s. We're not going to suddenly become Amish. So the question is, how do we steward this moment? The internet's here to stay. And so that's kind of my motivation. And under, and just asking questions that get underneath why we do what we do when we're online. Yeah, and I think it's a really helpful book. I encourage listeners to grab a copy. It's Away With Words uh, from B&H Publisher. Um, but Dan, as you talk about kind of these motivations for why you wanted to write the book, what are some of the things that alarm you about the way that Christians and even kind of the wider public are engaging on social media and online, especially in this pandemic as we lead up to the election season that's just a few weeks away? What are some of the things that are kind of alarming you or some of the trends that you're seeing that are disturbing? I think there's a few things. I think number one, we think, well, if I'm online, you know, we forget that if we're online that we're still Christians online, right? So if you slander a brother or sister online, it's still sin even if it's in the digital space, or if you pass along information that's not true, that's still not right. Uh, I think I'm also alarmed by the way we are really sorting ourselves into tribes and news bubbles, right? I feel like there are at least two really thick bubbles of news and information where we only receive and hear and believe stories that come, that confirm our politics or our perspective or that attack the people we don't like. So I think that's that's really alarming. So you see this, I feel like Twitter and Facebook are two hermetically sealed bubbles, right? So I feel like Twitter is the green room where a lot of elite opinion makers and journalists and thought leaders are, are conversing. I like Twitter, I like the format. And Facebook is more the masses, right? So I, I think that's a problem that we're kind of in these bubbles. I also I'm just really concerned with a, an easy um, mob mentality that I wake up some mornings just asking myself, like, who is going to be the ritual sacrifice on Twitter? Who is the mob going to crush, right? And Dave Zoll has a great book called Seculosity. And in that book, he says that, like, social media has all the elements of Christianity, like judgment and sin and repentance and scapegoats without all the grace. So I think that's pretty fair. So those are the things that really concern me, honestly, particularly as we head into the election. It's just, you know, as we're recording this, we're like less than two weeks out and it just it just gets nastier and nastier. Yeah, it really does. And there's just kind of constant cycle of outrage and comparison. There's so much often slander and gossip online. And I think a lot of these things cause many Christians to be rethinking, especially in light of the last few weeks. There was a documentary a few weeks ago called a social or the social dilemma that was on Netflix that kind of exposed a lot of the ways that these social media platforms are intentionally set up to promote content that it thinks you'll like and so in many ways it can contribute to that siloing effect that you had mentioned earlier but i think a lot of christians are kind of starting to wake up or at least starting to think about the way that they engage online thankfully and some are thinking maybe we should just totally withdraw we should just get off of social media completely and just kind of leave it to those who are already on there. Is there anything concerning to you about that behavior of like a complete withdrawal from social media and technology? I mean, I think there's good conversations about that. And there's some really smart people like Andy Crouch and many others who are saying like, maybe we shouldn't engage at all, or we should have digital Sabbaths, which I think are good. 
I mean, those are all good conversations. I, my thing, the perspective is I don't know that it's going anywhere. I don't know that social media is going anywhere. So I acknowledge that the algorithms really promote incivility and extremism, but I don't think Christians have to play that game, even as we're engaged. Like, we don't have to do that. Like, we don't have to, you know, be part of that. We can push back. We can be a little bit countercultural, even in the culture of social media, where we can, even as we engage in important conversations and speak out, which I think we should. I mean, I, I do that, speak on all kinds of issues. We could do it in a way that still recognizes the, the humanity of the people we disagree with. I think you really speak to a lot of like what Andy Crouch and Tony Ranke have said about kind of setting limits and patterns and yeah. um, having certain behaviors online and cultivating those. And that's one thing I really appreciate about your book is that you get into some of that because not only are you a writer, but you're also a pastor, a local church pastor. And so in light of that, what are some kind of pastoral advice or kind of a pastoral angle that you would uh, give to people as they're thinking about applying biblical wisdom to our engagement with social media? What are some of the habits that we should form or ways we should think about social media that maybe help to develop better uh, long-term habits and goals with social? Well, I think there's a few things to think about. I think, first of all, James 1.19 is really relevant. Uh, let everyone be to listen slow to speak, slow to anger. I think in the digital age, we might say, let everyone be quick to get the whole story, slow to post, mm -hmm. slow to digital rage. So first of all, just slowing down. And when we're tempted to react to a new story, slowing down and asking, do I have the whole story? Am I the person to speak to this? Do I even know this, what, what's going on? Um, there is a a lot of pressure and the, and the, the platforms want you to think this way that I have to have an opinion on every single topic all the time that I have to weigh in, which is really funny because I think about 20 years ago, I did not know what some random guy five States away thought about every global crisis. Right. But now we feel the pressure and there's, you know, people will post things like, why are evangelical leaders silent on this? And it's like, maybe they're not silent. They're just not tweeting. You know, they're talking to their elders right now, or they're visiting someone in the hospital. So the idea that you have to be as mad as me at the same time as me on the same platform as me about the same issue as me, is just ridiculous. So I think first of all, slowing down. I also think secondly, your offline life, your offline community can make your online presence better, right? So if you have a healthy offline community, if you have a network of friends, if you have a good you know, as a Christian, if you have a good church community where you're interacting in embodied relationships and fellowships that are not mediated by a screen, that I think shapes your online presence. I'm nervous about people who are extremely online, who live online. And I can always tell people who are catechized really by things online. So that matters. Like I have a I have a text thread of about five friends that we've been we've been texting for like five years in this thread and we text every day. Most of my hottest takes go in that text thread, thankfully, and it saves me from embarrassing myself on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, but having some kind of community, especially if you're a leader, right? If you're a leader, you need people around you to say, hey, I'm about to talk about this. Is this really, is this, am I phrasing this right? I think the other thing to think about is, you know, ask yourself some questions. What am I trying to do here? Do I really care about an issue or am I trying to signal to people that I'm with them? Uh, am I trying to earn? affirmation and attaboys and likes from a certain tribe? Or am I really tr genuinely trying to speak to an issue that I care about? And then the last thing I would say is this. Remember when you're online, you're in public. So 
we we often think we're it's weird. We we both know we're in public, so we perform. We, a lot of our stuff is performative, but then we forget we're in public. So you think you're behind a keyboard, but even if you only have say a hundred followers, which is pretty easy to do on Twitter or hundred friends on Facebook, it's not not that many. Imagine a room full of a hundred people, and you're speaking. How how would you speak? You'd speak differently than you do online. But what if you have like 5,000 followers or 10,000? Now you're talking like a minor league baseball stadium. <laughs> so you're in public. And when you're disagreeing with someone, you're in an even bigger public space. So let's say you have 10,000 followers and, and they do. That's 20,000 people. So have disagreements. I think we can have meaningful disagreements. But remember you're in public. Imagine yourself on stage with somebody else. And Remember the humanity of the person you're disagreeing with, that even though you might think they have a wrong take or wrong opinion, they may be dead wrong. Let's not reduce people to their, to their worst arguments. You know, they're whole people. More, they're more than the sum of their arguments. So hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, I think that's really helpful advice, especially, you know, even as you said earlier, you have that text thread with five different friends that you uh, will text some of your hottest takes. I think that's a really helpful practice for folks is having that type of community because sometimes you just need to vent. Um, It's one of those things that, you know, as sinful fallen human beings, we sometimes get angry or frustrated or uh, we just need to vent a little bit. And so to be able to have that kind of outlet that's not public uh, sometimes that you can have a friend to say, whoa, 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 you need to slow down or, hey, do you, are you really seeing the full context here and have that community, I think is really helpful, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic where so much of so much of our lives have been isolated. People are out of work. People are doing remote work and remote schooling. And it's just a difficult season where a lot of the tensions uh, kind of flare up and are exacerbated uh, by this isolation and social distancing and Uh, through the pandemic itself. Are there certain issues that you think have been amplified um, during COVID-19 that you're seeing, especially with online engagement? Yes, I I do, actually. I think a couple of things have been amplified, two that I've been paying attention to for a while. Number one, institutional trust, I think, is at an all-time low. And it it, headed into COVID-19, it was this way, but it's even more so that people have a lack of faith in our key institutions, whether it's the government, the media, the church, business, name it. Every every institution at every level in some ways has failed us in the last several decades. So people do not trust. And this is why there's such, there is a widespread social solidarity on fighting that pandemic. People are skeptical of institutions. They see inconsistencies. This also is why you see a rise in belief in conspiracy theories. You know, you're you're always going to have conspiracy theories in any age because we're in a fallen world. But when institutional trust is low, rise in conspiracy theories rises. And you you don't just see this at the macro level, but you see at the micro level. Like if you're leading a church and the leadership is is failed or scandal ridden, the rumors and and the conspiracies rise. So I think that's one thing. Institutional trust is low. The second thing I think is, I actually think the biggest divide in America right now is not between left and right, but I think it's between what I call the laptop class and like the working class. And I would consider myself a charter member of the laptop class. You know, I've, I've worked in institutions. I'm a leader, but a leader in nonprofit institutions. I'm regularly hanging out with thought leaders and opinion makers and all that. But there's a gap between that cohort and just kind of rank and file 
folks. And I think the pandemic has exacerbated that because if you look even at like the job numbers and not to get into wonk, wonkery economic stuff, but the, the job recovery has largely happened to the professional white collar laptop class and the working class is still lagging behind. And I think that this sows into the kind of distrust between people and their institutions. And I'm curious to see where that goes. Like, I, I, I don't know, but more and more you just see this great divide between people whose opinions who are shaped by elite Twitter, if you will, and people who, 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 who aren't, you know, and I'm not saying one group is more noble than the other. It's just, there's this interesting dynamic that I see happening. Yeah. And leaders, I think leaders, leaders who understand this can lead well, you know, it's hard to do right now. Like leadership right now is probably the hardest it's I've ever seen. Like pastors, leading institutions, school board administrators, it is tough right now to lead. It just seems like you can't do anything right. In your book, you say that the internet can make us smarter, but it can also be the equivalent of eating junk food three times a day. How do you go about balancing some of that, uh, the forces of modern technology and social media and kind of avoiding some of the harmful ways outside of like text threads and building that community are there things that you're intentionally doing in your life to kind of write your relationship with social media to be able to use it wisely and Christ-like, um, but also kind of balancing uh, a lot of the intake that comes on social media, which often leads to kind of an overload of information where we're kind of skipping from thing to thing to thing instead of being able to go deep and dwell on things and think wisely. What are some of the habits or things that you form that might uh, encourage listeners and kind of help us to have a better relationship with social media? Well, it's interesting. Andy Crouch as a great thing where he talks about how we were not wired to take in all this information, you know, all this news all the time. You know, there's a difference, even when you look in scripture, there's a difference between an insatiable curiosity that God has wired into us, right? We have a whole book of Proverbs that implores us to seek out wisdom and knowledge. So curiosity, reading, growing is really important uh, for for human beings and particularly for Christians. You know, even like the apostle Paul at the end of his life, he's about to be martyred and he says, can someone bring my books? He's still not done learning. That's really important. But there's a difference between a healthy curiosity and a kind of what Paul talks about, like a busybody mentality, endless controversies, endless um, arguments that is kind of junk food information. And even secular folks are pointing this out, you know, Nicholas Carr in his book, The Shallows, talks about what's happening to our brains of just skimming and scrolling instead of deep learning. And so I think we have to just understand the difference between that. There's a pursuit of facts and information that's just kind of unnecessary and useless, right? Like, I don't have to know all about every single thing, right? There, I, I actually like when I go onto Twitter or Facebook and there's four or five controversial things that I don't even know about, right? Like, with celebrities or with the ins and outs of this, I think it's healthy to not be there. And there is actually a temptation that goes all the way back to the garden. Jen Michelle in her book, Surprised by Paradox, talks about this, that the serpent tempted Eve with the idea that she could be all-knowing, that she could, she would not just be like God, she could be God. And humans are not wired to be all-knowing. In fact, a, a, a quest for honest knowledge and wisdom is a sign of humility that we don't know everything. But the smartphone in our pocket gives us a temptation, gives us the false idea that we can be all-knowing, that with my phone, I can know everything that's happening. 
uh, a sense of control. And I think we have to fight that. And so one of the things we have to do is just determine that there's a lot of things I don't need to weigh in on and don't need to know about. Uh, this idea of FOMO, fear of missing out, is really what keeps us reaching for our phone. We're really nervous that there's something going on in the world that I don't know about. I'm not all-knowing. I'm not, I'm not in control. I'm not in charge. And that is something we have to, I think, fight and develop healthy practices of, you know, what do I need to know? What do I care to know? What's important to me? Uh, do I have to know? You know, there's things that I think God will give us, like certain curiosities or certain likes and dislikes where we can become specialists. But then there's other things that are just kind of like internet wormholes that it's like, do we really need to go down this pathway? And so I just asking ourselves those questions as we as we use the internet. Yeah, I think that's really important. As we close out our time today, I know that you love to read and especially love audiobooks. So we'll end on a little bit of a lighter note. Um, what are some of the things that you're reading right now that might be challenging you or things that you're enjoying when you disconnect from social media? What are some books or audiobooks that you're really enjoying right now? Yeah, so I love audiobooks. I walk at least once a day. I listen to audio an audiobook and I listen in my car, although my commute's much shorter. But I find myself volunteering for chores around the house so I can listen to, to more audiobooks. <laughs> um, I like to read. So my thing is I read, read, like actual books, if it's theology or leadership or anything like that, I have to read it. I can't listen to it. But if it's history or fiction, I like to read that. Now I'll read that. I'll like actually read that stuff too. But when it comes to audiobooks, I love history. I love fiction. So I just, people are going to think I'm a total nerd, but I love presidential history, American presidential history. I just love, and I love biographies because I feel like, you know, a biography gives you history, but it's through one person's eyes. And so I just finished a biography of Grover Cleveland. That tells, me, tells you how much of a nerd I am. He's a 22nd and 24th president, only non, one to serve non-consecutive terms. So that was fun. And now I'm reading a, I'm listening to a biography of um, uh, James Baker, who was a diplomat. He was a secretary of state, chief of staff for Reagan. He ran five presidential campaigns. So really fascinating life in the public service. Uh, so I'm listening to that book and then I'm reading, I just finished reading. So I'm reading, I started reading John Bunyan, like uh, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners and liking that. I'm reading a little bit in the morning and then I'm reading a Max Licato's first book. Uh, I just like reading Max because he's such a great writer. It's the first book he ever published before he became a thing. So I think it's called No Wonder They Call Him Savior. Anyway, so I'm always reading a lot of different things, if that makes sense. You are, and especially with your audiobooks, I do have to point out as we end our time uh, that you like to listen to them at 1x speed. Yes. And I just cannot do that. I'm always uh, a 2x. I can't go faster than that, but at least it kind of speeds up and sounds a little bit more normal. Uh, but Dan, I want to thank you so much for joining us today here on Weekly Tech. And I'm really grateful for your work at NRB and for the many years that you served here at the ROC. So thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Jason. And I uh, love what you're doing here with this podcast. Well, from all of us here at Weekly Tech, I want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed Weekly Tech, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really let us know how we're doing and also help to share the word about Weekly Tech with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Dan and learn more about his work in the show notes. You can also sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing each Monday morning, which is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues every day 
along with the top technology news, you can sign up at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week. Thank you.